0: Greetings and welcome to Best Cultural Destinations podcast, People Are Culture. I'm Meg Pierre, host of this interview series, which presents stories of how culture is created, preserved, and shared, one person at a time. People Are Culture podcast celebrates our unique differences and shared human condition and reveals that while the phenomenon of culture is universal, its meaning is personal. Rosie Greenlee's OBE is president of the World Crafts Council and a member of the Creative Industries Council. She has been executive director of the UK's Craft Council since 2006. A national organization promoting the value of craft and making to society, the Crafts Council has supported thousands of makers through its talent development programs, brings high-quality craft, to an annual audience of over three million through its exhibitions, collection, and events, and leads a national campaign for reinstating craft education in schools. Rosie spent her early career as a visual arts curator before taking on senior roles, including cultural strategy manager responsible for the mayor of London's first culture strategy and founding director of the London Center for Arts and Cultural Enterprise. It is a pleasure to welcome Rosie to the People Are Culture
1: podcast.
0: Rosie, it's a pleasure to have you on the Best Cultural Destinations People Are Culture podcast. Welcome.
1: Thank you very much. It's uh, a delight to be here as well. Thank you, Meg.
0: Well, I'm going to begin, as I begin each segment, um, with a big question, but one that uh, I'm keen to get your answer to, and that is, what is culture? <laughs>
1: yes that's um that could take some time to answer um i guess I guess for me, there are a number of ways in which one can express a definition of culture. I think there is culture as in an expression of how we are as people and as communities, um, which is perhaps our traditions our our ways of doing things, um, how we express ourselves, the clothes that we wear and so forth. And then I guess there's the notion of culture, which is perhaps slightly more narrowly defined, which is the artefacts that we produce, which represent our our values, our ways of thinking about the world, which obviously do include things like... um, Uh, ceramics and paintings and music and all of those sorts of things so for me culture is a is a a way of expressing ourselves as individuals and as communities
0: that's great that matches very closely to my definition that it's that it's both individual and collective so thank you for that and then why does it matter why does culture matter
1: it matters hugely um, for, for an obvious reason, I think, is, is because it is an expression of being a human being. Um, you know, we are sentient beings. We we wished we are creative beings. We need to express our individuality um, and our being and our humanity, and therefore, it is very, very core cool to what we are as human beings. Um, I think it also matters because I think it's a way of um, understanding other people, um, of bringing people together and recognizing difference as well as similarities. And I think that that is enormously important in the world, especially at the moment.
0: I totally agree. It's getting more and more um, necessary to find ways to communicate and to understand each other. And culture certainly is the transmission line I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, Now the terms making and craft can have different meanings to different people. How do you define these terms?
1: Okay so uh, the way that we would define them within a craft council context would be that craft is very much um, a notion of making with Great technical skill, a great um, empathy for your material or your process. So there's a level of quality and skill and excellence in there. Um, Craft being something that is well done. Um, I would say that making is a slightly broader term, which is about anything that you do, which is of, of, of constructing in one form or another. Um, And we use both terms because I think when you're talking about a very broad definition of craft, which encompasses maker spaces or grassroots craft, then actually the term making can often be a better way of people understanding what you're talking about. Craft is a very loaded term. Making, I think, carries less baggage with it. And so sometimes it's a more helpful terminology to express that wider notion of, of craft. Mm hmm. And can
0: you tell us who are the members of the World Craft Council and what does membership offer?
1: So the World Crafts Council is an international body. It consists of five regions um, and uh, covering the whole of the globe. The members are all organisations committed and promoting craft in one form or another. So that might be organisations like ourselves, which receives government funding. um, um, Our existence is there to support makers and craftspeople. Um, It may be membership organizations, so craft and design associations, for example. Um, So there's a whole host of organizations. There are hundreds across the globe um, within those different regions. So that's Asia Pacific, Africa, Europe, North America, and Latin America. Mm -hmm.
0: And what does membership offer the members?
1: So the membership is very much about, I think I think if you didn't have the World Crafts Council, you'd want to create it, basically. It's a coming together of a collective of organizations who are all like-minded. Our job is to promote craft, to support craftspeople of all sorts across the globe, um, to recognize the value, to promote the value of craft, but also... The the network is about giving opportunities to share information, knowledge, expertise, uh, to work collectively together to do projects, for example. So, for example, in Europe, um, within the network, we have had uh, European funding to deliver programs together which might focus on professional development for craftspeople. It might be research. It might be focused on how to build a market for craft. some of the sorts of projects that we've done um, across the whole of the globe include Craft Cities and the Award for Excellence, which are both programmes particularly focused, well, the Award for Excellence is particularly focused on supporting artisans to improve the products that they produce. Uh, craft Cities is very much around, the, around place and the collective value of craft within, a, within, a, um, within an urban concentration
0: Yes. And I want to come back to the craft cities, but um, before we go there, um, you wrote a piece a couple of years ago that carried the Mm -hmm. headline, um, the UK craft sector isn't a hipster economy. It's sparking innovation. And the essay is packed full of some really powerful observations and busts several myths about the craft and making sectors can you share a few of the ideas that you put forth in that piece
1: uh, yeah definitely um I suppose I think the the at the Crafts Council what we've seen or what I've seen over the last 12-13 years that I've been working here is that craft comes and goes as in terms of its popularity it had when I joined the organization it was very much something that people were not interested in. Everything was about the virtual. Everything was about the conceptual. But what I could see was beginning to happen was a shift back towards an interest in skill. And with the downturn in the global economy and so forth, um, a sort of return to notions of integrity and authenticity, um, the fact that... um, uh, people were increasingly expressing their individuality through the things that they bought and the things that they wore. And so the idea of customization became more and more important. So what's emerged out of that is a great interest in craft, and you can see that in many luxury brands that use the term craftsmanship or craft in some form or another to promote what they're selling. Um, mm-hmm. So it's become very, very popular. And I think what we're trying to say is, firstly, that the craft sector, the real craft sector, has been quietly working for many, many generations, Um, and that this sort of sudden fashion or trend for craft is not necessarily new, it's always been there. That's the first thing. The second thing is that that notion that craft is simply about people making nice pots or jewelry or textiles, yes, of course, that's very important but actually that there's a, a, a really exciting and interesting way of thinking about craft and making in the 21st century, which is that whole notion of, um, understanding materials and processes and how those things can be brought to bear uh, within the problem solve the, the, the solving of problems that we're facing at the moment. Um, and what I mean by that is obviously if you think about science and technology, there's a lot of work going on around new material developments um, of how you can take existing materials and processes and do new things with them. And, Craft makers sit very comfortably within that context, so they are often bringing brought together with medical academics, with scientists, with technologists, with material specialists to develop new materials and new ways of applying craft skills. And for us, we think that that's a really important part. What we need to do as the Crafts Council is to shine a light on that work and demonstrate that it's not simply some hip thing um, of people making a few pots and selling a cup of coffee in East London. It's much, much more fundamental than that to to society, both economically and socially.
0: Right. And as a uh, jumping-off point, um, there's also a lot of craftspeople that work with recycled material. And I feel mm-hmm. that craft has played a significant role in the the environmentally conscious movement. I mean, I feel that through art and crafts that, are, that have been created with recycled materials, there's been a real consciousness raised about environmental concerns. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: I think that's very true. Um, I think that not only are... People concerned about um, the use of materials, but also thinking about how they can use their materials in more useful ways so that that it may be whether that's actually using a recycled material to make with um, or whether it's actually thinking about how they can promote that idea of longevity within the market. So, for example, encouraging people to buy things that can last for longer And actually buying, you know, a very well-made pair of handmade shoes, for example, something like that will last many years uh, rather than buying one pair of shoes every year for 60 years or whatever. Um, So it's that idea of how you can um, both impart the notion that actually buying something well-made that can last is a positive contribution to the sustainability of the globe.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, probably beginning in the fifties, you know, the world became more of a throwaway society and Mm -hmm. there is this return, you know, because we are all so much more aware of the, the urgent need for sustainability. Um, You've referred to um, disruptive collaboration and a highly networked society of makers. And I'd love to hear more about these ideas.
1: Well, I think disruptive collaboration is really about what I was talking about, where we where you're bringing makers together with scientists and technologists, um, and and that what they can do is bring a different way of thinking to that context. Um, we've done quite a bit of research looking at the way in which craftspeople um, think differently to scientists, um, and how they can bring a different. A different approach to the table, um, so it's not only their material skills and what they know about materials that they can they can bring to the table. It's also about how they think about um, a problem. Um, so, for example, that whole idea of makers—they um, have a um, an understanding of how humans engage with materials. They have an understanding of. Um, of how materials operate, what how far you can push them, how you can manipulate them. Um, and also they have a, um, a way of thinking which is comes at, at, at problems from a, from, from a left field, I suppose, is one way of describing it. They will worry away at a problem. They think about it through making and through materials rather than a paper-based problem. Um, and so what that brings is a sort of unique contribution to the problem solving that scientists might be engaged in.
0: Yes. And and that actually kind of goes back to what you said earlier on about, you know, we are all unique and we we all have special talents. And, you know, the idea that um, a certain kind of mindset or sensibility can be brought to bear, you know, in a totally different realm. Um I think we need to be thinking more along those lines. Um, Now, um, you've been outspoken about the decline of making in schools and a failure of parents and educational systems to encourage children to think with their hands as well as their heads. Can you speak about the perception of craft as a soft career option?
1: Uh, yes, uh, I mean, I don't even think it's thought of as a soft career option. I don't think it's sort thought of as a career full stop anymore. Um, I mean what what happened in this country was that um, we uh, well, pretty much when I joined the Craft Council, which is a sort of two thousand and six, what was beginning to already happen was that there were closures of craft courses and and I'm talking here particularly of uh, discipline specific courses, so ceramics and so forth within an art college context and um, people were writing to me saying you need to do something about this what are you going to do about it you need to stop it and of course there's no I can't write to a vice chancellor and tell them to stop this this course It, it just doesn't work like that unfortunately. But what was becoming obvious that there was some quite serious thing happening. and We didn't really quite know what was going on other than we could see that courses were closing. But we weren't quite sure why. We didn't know whether it was lack of demand, um, lack of interest, a lack of valuing of craft within colleges or, or what. So we decided to carry out quite a major piece of research, um, which was looking at student participation numbers and course numbers Um, from what we call GCSE, which is 16 exams that they take in this country at the age of 16, right the way through to postgraduate HE. And what we found was a significant reduction in the number of students that were taking some form of craft-related course at 16 years old. Um, And that had been quite a significant and profound decline of about 25%. And that decline has continued. Um, at the point when we did that piece of research, higher education was still looking quite buoyant, but our concern was that actually some of that buoyancy was because of large numbers of international students and the, the data that we have didn't allow us to find that out, but we suspected that that might be the case. Um, and really what's happened is that there's been a whole, well, there's a series of things that have been going on here. Firstly, a huge um, emphasis on uh, results Very results driven education system in this country meant that increasingly anything that was not considered to be core, so in other words, not a hard subject like maths or English or a language, was effectively being taken off the offer list to students. It wasn't, people weren't investing in it. Um, Equally, parents of children were becoming increasingly focused on you must get a proper job. Um, And what this was doing was was all of these things were coming together to create a sort of decline at at school level. And what that was then doing was reducing down the numbers, the demand for higher education. Equally, what was happening is because of that, we found that at at higher education level, at degree level, we found uh, tutors, teachers who were saying, they had students coming to them who lacked even basic skills. So, for example, um, textiles are still pretty popular, um, but actually what was happening is students would come to university, they wouldn't even have been using a sewing machine, for example, whereas in, in my world, um, I'm quite a bit older um, than students, um, You know, I grew up learning how to sew and to use a sewing machine. That was just normal that you did that. So what we found was this this sort of erosion of those skills right the way through school, right the way up into higher education. And obviously, that's a great concern to us because, well, for two reasons. Firstly, there is that that notion of, of craft in the sort of more studio craft context which is many of the people that we work with so you know obviously you want to see those people coming through people making beautiful objects and so forth but also for the for the reasons that I've already been talking about in terms of that wider application of craft if you look you will find craft skills in many many different sectors or at least making skills and what I mean by that is if you think about the creative industry so I'm talking here film fashion architecture. You will find craft in all of those sectors. You'll find craft in film through um, prop making, uh, through set building. And what's interesting with film is that um, because of digital technology, they need even better craft skills, not not less, because the quality of digital image is so good that you have to have really well made props and, and sets and so forth same in fashion obviously if you think about couture um you know the amazing making that goes on within that context in architecture the same so craft skills are in all of these different sectors but then if you step out beyond that into science and technology that we've already talked about again craft skills are being used and one example i use a lot is um A a maker who's a glass artist, Um, he was approached by a hospital in North London. Uh, They were trying to develop the technology to grow human cells and they needed like a sort of scaffolding, um, so to speak, glass scaffolding to grow these um, cells on. And they had been working with industrial uh, glass makers, but they just couldn't make the technology work. And they worked with this maker, Matt Durham, and he had the technical and the material skills to develop the technology and to develop the glass moulds that they needed, such that they could continue to develop this really groundbreaking, making, groundbreaking um, medical innovation. And I think that's an incredibly compelling example of the way in which what are quite traditional materials, knowledge and technical skill can be used in this really groundbreaking way. Um, if you think about the surgeon, the surgeon is stitching. If you think about the dentist, the dentist is sculpting. So, all of these different um, um, uh, careers architecture, engineering, design, surgery, etc., etc., they all need some level of, of hand making or material knowledge and skill. And you don't get that from simply using a computer. So, our argument is if you want to have people who can do these types of um, jobs in the future, then you must have some sort of basic material making at a, a sort of junior level within schools so that a child understands how difficult it is to make something, has that experience and develops their making skills such that they understand the physical properties of the material, but they also understand some of the design challenges as well. Because if you don't know that, you can't do these other things
0: well i think you know particularly with um young people you know say around 16 the age that you referred to um you know it's not only necessarily the the making skills that are being developed but it's the creativity mm-hmm. and it is the problem solving and the ability to bring something to life you know to to um, see something manifest in a concrete way. And, mm. you know, those are skills that everybody needs. Um, Absolutely. And, and, you know, when you need to learn them is not when you're, you know, 50 and being pushed out of a job. You know, you need mm. to have those skills to, you know, uh, launch a career. So yep. I, Absolutely.
1: I would. Mm. And, and also the other thing is that not everybody learns by reading and writing. Some right. people learn much better through the act of doing. And I think craft is all about learning and thinking through the act of doing. Um, and for, um, we found with the schools programs that we run, um, students, for example, who are dyslexic or are, find more general academic work quite challenging really excel in the context of making. You can learn so much. You can learn maths, you can learn physics, you can learn chemistry, you can learn history, geography, all of these things you can learn through the act of making. Um, we found that children who perhaps um, uh, English was not their first language could express themselves through making so it's it's a very important way of looking at the world, thinking about the world um, it 's not all driven through the world and i I feel very passionate about that. I think that we do children a great disservice if we don't think about different learning. Um skills and ways of th- learning and about the world, and that making is a really really important aspect of that
0: right we could have a we could have a whole separate conversation on this because I'm I, sure we could I mean, yes, one of the things yes. that that I observe um you know is uh, increasing levels of frustration because there is such a focus on the immediate response and immediate gratification mm-hmm. and yeah. um you know I know when I feel frustrated I am not in a good place and to be continually feeling frustrated but if I know how to solve a problem um or feel confident that I have the skills to solve a problem I'm I'm going to be less frustrated um yeah. So, yeah. Um, now, going back to what you referred to earlier, as far as the creative craft cities around the world, can you talk a little bit about that initiative and its goals? Yeah. And yes, so thank you. the
1: craft cities was about recognizing that that craft can contribute to place and that there are clusters of activity in different cities around the world. Um, So the programme is is, is basically, it's not just cities in that strict sense. They might be towns, they might be regions, they might be collections of villages, but they are clusters of activity. Um, They might be clusters of activity focused around a particular material um, or a particular process or a particular product. Um, It can vary, so it might be ceramics, it might be um, carpet-making or shoemaking, um, it could be silk weaving, for example. So it can vary, or it could be indeed a collection of, uh, of different skills, uh, uh, of different crafts, rather. So the point of the, of the network is to recognise the value of craft within that particular region or area. Um, we invite um, the city or the region to make an application. What we have to do is, is collect um, all the information together so that we want to know about what sort of sector it is, what the history is, how many people work in it, um, what are the working conditions. Um, We want to know how um, the training and studio provision is provided, what's the education, are there partnerships with other cultural organisations. Um, And we also want to know is how does the regional or the local government support um, that particular activity? And that's a very important part of the application. So you have to provide evidence and letters of support from your local uh, government. Um, And an application is made. We will consider it. We send a jury to visit the area um, to assess the the level of work that's being produced. and and the systems to support that, um, and then we will either make comments and say no, or or we will support it. And what we now have is about forty plus cities around the world, largely in Asia Pacific, some in Europe and Latin America, um, and we're hoping to try and develop, um, particularly in North America, in in the near future as well. So it provides a network, and um, uh, but also a. Um, a status for those cities that they can say that they have World Cross Council, um, Cross City status, which means that they have a letter and a certificate to show that, that, that they have that level of um, expertise. Um, And we have a website where you can go on and you can look at the different cities and their photographs and information about what type of crafts exist in those different places. Um, So it's still a relatively new network and it's a relatively new initiative, but the next stage is to look at ways in which we can bring those cities together and start to share information and knowledge and expertise. but it's incredible the the range of places and things that you can see. So that might be, for example, in um, the Outer Hebrides in Scotland, you have Harris Tweed. Um, you have horsehair weaving weaving in Chile. Uh, you have shoemaking in Iran. Uh, you have silk weaving in India. There's a phenomenal range of different ways of making, um, which is very exciting and also just just shows how How much is still happening? You know, people tend to say, oh, all of these things have been lost, but they haven't. There's still amazing things going on all over the world, and it's really important that we record them and promote them and support them as much as we can.
0: And I'm curious. I mean, I know that I choose destinations I travel to based on um, an interest in a particular craft. I mean, that can be my entire reason for making a trip somewhere. And I don't think I'm alone in that. And is the idea that these, um, cities can kind of market their status as a tourism? Absolutely.
1: Mm. Absolutely. We Mm. see that as a very important part of it is being able to say that as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And kind of on that note, um, uh, How has globalization in an online marketplace changed craft?
1: Um, Well, I think there's two sides to that. I think the downside is that globalization, um, in all the ways that we know, the sort of growth of these huge corporate companies, um, the loss of jobs, the loss of manufacturing, and those more industrial craft skills has obviously not been good. Um, Having said that though, there are some pluses and I think one of the big pluses is the way in which people are interested in stories, they want to know how things are made, they want to be able to uh, buy things that are special. And actually, the online marketplace has opened up huge potential both for buyers and for makers. Um, You can be a maker in uh, the north of Scotland and you can be selling your work all over the world through an online marketplace by using a website, social media and so forth. And and you can tell the stories of your work um, and people follow that. Um, So actually, I think there are some pluses there as well. The only thing about that online marketplace is that there is, you know, quite a proliferation of people selling stuff that, on some of these um, sites that uh, or platforms rather, retail platforms, who claim, you know, this is craft made when it's not. Um, it's probably been manufactured. So it does uh, create um, quite a buzz and quite a. Uh, um, you know, it's an awful lot of people out there. I suppose is the best way to describe it. So, so sometimes it can be challenging to find what you're looking for. Um, and so, for example, we have a directory at the Crafts Council, and we see that very much as being uh, a way in which we can sort of screen and promote what we think is good quality making and good quality craft, and that people can come to us and identify who those people are. So, I think, I think, I think there are very positive things. Um, in terms of retail. I also think in terms of um, sharing of knowledge and expertise, you know, you can go on YouTube, you can find out how things are made. Um, So it's opened up lots and lots of possibilities for people to access information and knowledge in a way that they might not have done before.
0: Right. And that's a springboard to my next question, which I'm very excited to hear your answer to. Um, if, If you can look into your crystal ball and make some predictions about the impact of craft, making and the creative economy, say a decade from now. Um, I'd love to hear what you envision as being possible.
1: Well, I think I think the first thing is is more of the same in that I think some of the work that we've been doing and I've talked about already is around this uh, the relationship between craft and science and technology and innovation. I think that that is con- going to continue to grow and become more important. I think there's another groundswell around the way in which craft can contribute to place and and how many cities and towns have been hollowed out because retail is, is just declining to such an extent. And I think that the heritage of different places and the craft skills in those different places, or indeed the sort of cultural activity that craft can bring to some of those places can revive them and help give a sort of sense of place. So for example, um, in Stoke-on-Trent, which was a big ceramic centre, much of the production moved to China. Um, but what then happened was that, with this sort of resurgence of interest in craft and skills, um, some of those manufacturers started bringing their production back to this country because they realised that it actually was a value to be able to say that these things were made in the UK. Um, that combined with the sort of cultural development of, um, of a biennale, a ceramics biennale in the city has, has led to much more interest in, in ceramics per se. Um, and that has now led to the university being more engaged with ceramics and now setting up a, a, a million pound, multi million pound research centre in ceramics. So all of these things have come together to start to develop some uh, resurgence of interest and therefore, you know, jobs, people coming to visit and so forth. So, so that's been really important. The third thing, I think, is around health and well-being. Um, There's been a lot of talk in this country, certainly, about the way in which cultural activity can help in terms of health and and well-being, um, both physical and mental. Right. And, you know, obviously going for a walk, listening to music can make you relaxed and so forth. Well, making can help in that respect, the whole thing of doing something repetitively and the flow that you get, which is what they call it, of doing something in a repetitive way can actually de-stress you. Um, and um, it can be a sort of positive addiction also, almost if you know what I mean, um, and it can bring people together, it bring, gives them a social connection with others, um, as well as that more physical idea of making with your hands can keep eye coordination, hand eye coordination in place, and can be particularly helpful with older people, for example, who are who are lacking that sort of flexibility. So I think that that's going to be really important going forward. And and I suspect that, you know, we will start to see craft um, prescriptions. In other words, you know, that whole idea of social prescribing. So you don't give somebody some pills, you send them off to take some exercise or to engage in some sort of cultural activity. And I think craft can play a very important role in that.
0: I love the idea of that. I know that myself, the, you know, to the extent that I engage in crafts and that repetitive activity that you refer to, it can become, um, meditative. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, it frees the mind from yeah. whatever concerns you might have because you're focusing on the the task at hand. Um, yeah. I agree about that. Now you've looked ahead and now to kind of take a look back, um, at your, your own career. Um, You spent your early career as a visual arts curator. And I'd love to have you um, share, you know, what drew you to a career in the arts and whether there was any kind of pivotal moment or whether it was something that you just knew you loved from a young age.
1: Um, I just loved it from a long, young age. I grew up um, on Salisbury Plain, uh, very close to Stonehenge. you probably heard of the place Stonehenge, which is a prehistoric stone ring. Um, I, I didn't go to galleries and museums particularly. I did go to theatre and concerts, but there really was very little. I mean, I lived in a village. Um, So there was very little in the way of of cultural activity for me. Uh, My parents weren't particularly that way inclined either. Um, But I always had an interest in history. Um, When I was a teenager, I went and did an evening class in archaeology. And so I suppose that sort of, I think that at that point, I started to be interested in the idea of working in museums and art galleries. Um, but i don't know particularly where that came from it wasn't something that i particularly grew up with but i always loved drawing and art so i did a lot of it when i was a child um in my own spare time um and um and that just led me on into where i am now mm.
0: well i think it's funny how if you have something inside of you that you know this type of um this realm speaks to you it does kind of take on a life of its own and lead you in all kinds of different mm. directions um, yeah. Now, in, in another earlier position, um, you were the cultural strategy manager responsible for the mayor, the mayor of London's first culture strategy. Can you describe that experience in terms of the opportunity and the challenges and what the key learnings were for you about strategy, politics and yourself?
1: So that was an enormously exciting thing to do because um, this was just when the 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 um, Greater London Authority, the Mayor of London, um, as a a body was created because, of course, it didn't exist before. Um, So the whole organisation was being established all at the same time when I joined. So I joined just about six months after it was first established. Um, And it was a great honour to be in a position where I had this incredible overview of all of the cultural activity that was going on in London. And that was very exciting. And nobody had really written anything about the culture of London in in quite that way. And it was still relatively early days in terms of the idea of the creative industries more generally. So there had been some pieces of research done around that, but not a lot. Um, So it's a very exciting time and place to be. Um, The thing that I loved about it was um, that idea of thinking about how culture or is is placed within a social and economic context and this i think has been a sort of a continuing interest for me and and in part why i i love what i do now um is is you know how how does culture sit within the context of planning of transport of environmental of health and so forth and there was um a requirement of the mayor's culture strategy that it had to align with all his other strategies. So his economic strategies, planning strategy and so forth. So part of my role was to work with the officers in all of those different teams to make sure that all of this held together as a sort of single coherent strategy for the mayor. That was both challenging, um, but also very exciting. Mm. Um, and um, I suppose for me, what was... Um, but the learning from that was how, um, how you need to try and how important it is to be able to explain to people and get people to understand why culture is important. Because, of course, you might go talk to somebody in the transport team or the planning team who had absolutely no interest whatsoever in culture and couldn't see any reason why they would. Want to um, consider it to be of importance, and so sometimes you had to, you know, get you had a sort of additional challenge that people didn't recognise that this was of any significance. Um, so that that was a bit of a challenge, but it was a, a fascinating and very exciting time to be there, um, and I think that um, it. Since then, there have been, I think, two more strategies. And, of course, now there's a World City Initiative and there's all sorts of things going on at the GLA. So um, I feel very honoured to have been part of those first early days of setting the sort of groundwork for all of that.
0: Well, and I think how fitting that your role um, looking at culture was was one that kind of wove together all the the other um Areas uh, of the mayor's strategy. I mean, that seems very fitting to me. Um, Rosie, why do you do what you do?
1: Because <laughs> um, I love it. Um, um, I, I, I'm not a maker myself. I'm not a creative making person in any sense. So people often say, "Oh, do you make or do do you?" Uh, I, no, I don't. But what I love is the creativity of my role, which is thinking about how we can present craft in that wider context and how you can shine a light on these amazing things that makers are doing. I love going and visiting makers in their studios. I love going out there and seeing what's going on. But I also love going in to meet a minister and explain to them why all of this is important. Um, so this job is fantastic because on the one hand, it gives me that very direct link with with creative activity but it also gives me an opportunity to use that knowledge and expertise I have around sort of strategic and advocacy and so forth Um, so the two things come together really well in my role and and I I care passionately about making I think it's really really important and I've 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 experienced it for myself, seeing my own children not have access to those things in school. Um, um, But I've also gone into school and run workshops and seen what amazing things children can do when they're given a piece of clay. Um, And I think that, you know, craft can absolutely transform people's lives and and, and we need more of it. It can solve some of the problems of our our very fraught society um, at the moment. And I think we absolutely need it. Um, for the future.
0: Well said. Well, I think you know you're, the role that you describe is really one of being a channel, and um, you know that has to feel really good that you are a connector of people, and um, that's a segue into my my last question, which is that. Best Cultural Destinations tagline is people are culture connecting is the destination. And it seems to me that the world craft council's work is, is also about connection In closing. Could you share a message with listeners, pardon me, about what connection means to you and how you achieve it?
1: I think connection for me is, is often about how craft can bring people together. Um, And and it can be a a, a place of shared interest. Um, I think for the World Crafts Council, what really struck me was um, in in Europe. Obviously, we have a very strong tradition of working in a quite an artistic way our contemporary craft is quite challenging it's not obviously craft sometimes it's materially driven but it's not necessarily functional or even decorative Um, whereas obviously in other parts of the world it's very much around artisans making in traditional ways over many many years but I think what connects us all is that commitment to the notion of making um, to bringing on a new generation of makers um, of educating our young children to enjoy and engage with these things and and of making craft sustainable for 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 craft businesses and I think that connects everyone across the whole of the World Crafts Council regardless of whether you're sitting in your ha- or in your house in India working on a very traditional loom uh, producing cloth for for a, a textile house or whether you're in the um, Highlands of, of Scotland, um, weaving a basket, for example. I think, or indeed in London, in a studio in 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 Shoreditch, making ceramics. We're all connected by this one thing, which is this this need to make and um, this need to express ourselves through material things um, as human beings. And I think what that does is 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 demonstrate how we all have a notion of a shared way of thinking about the world um, and that craft and materials and making can help us see where that commonality is.
0: Well, I think you've brought us full circle. That's uh, a lovely thought that, you know, craft is really just about, about being human. Um, Rosie, I thank you so much. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and it was a delight to and have you. And me too.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.